living in America right now, the issue of race riots and coups in American history definitely, I feel, needs space of its own for discussion. So here it is. I'm going to look back a little bit at episode four, What's Up With Race Riots Part 1, and look forward a little bit to What's Up With Race Riots Part 2 to look at two cases of premeditated white coups against legitimate Southern governments, both during Reconstruction and during the later period of race wars. We're going to start in New Orleans. As I said in episode four, New Orleans had a lot of politically motivated race riots in the 1870s, which New Orleans had a very large and vocal black population, so there were just a lot of political clashes between blacks and whites. The specific one that I want to talk about was from 1873 to 1874. Yeah, it was a race riot that went on more than one year. It centered around the governor election between Republican W.P. Kellogg and Democrat John McCurney, but it also centered around the issue of black suffrage more broadly. After this election was decided in favor of W.P. Kellogg, there were a lot of accusations of fraud thrown back and forth. So it started in March of 1873 when Democrat McCurney's people attacked two police stations and Federal troops had to be called in to protect the Republicans in the city. The Democrats were very upset by this, so this is why it takes two years. In response, they form the White League, which was a paramilitary group with thousands of members across Louisiana, and at the same time, Kellogg took office. In that year when the White League formed, they organized and their frustration mounted at the Battle of Liberty Place, which was a full-on coup starting September 14th. 1874. Anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 White League members went to New Orleans in little organized military companies and took over. They had snipers on the roofs and they killed 27 people and they took over several state government buildings under McErnie. And this is a battle because it actually took three days for U.S. troops to expel these forces and restore Kellogg as governor. After Kellogg was restored, he was governor until 1877, but voting rights for blacks in Louisiana went downhill from there because in those years, some shady political dealings and further violence stripped away black political power and with the end of Reconstruction, the policies of Reconstruction that were supposed to make politics relatively colorblind were completely abolished. Around this governor election, but actually not in New Orleans, came the deadliest part of Reconstruction violence overall. It happened in Colfax, Louisiana in 1873, when a collection of several white supremacist groups killed 150 black men and then when they were prosecuted, the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court declared that the law used to charge these men didn't apply to them as individuals, so no one was ever actually punished for the death of these black men. And saying essentially this was not a crime left the door wide open for a whole bunch more violence throughout Reconstruction, both in Louisiana and across the South. From there, I want to jump forward a little over 20 years out of Reconstruction to Wilmington, North Carolina and the Wilmington Coup, which is where What's Up With Race Riots Part 2 will pick up. 
This was well past Reconstruction, which meant that across the South, most Republican governments had been expelled and black people had largely been completely disenfranchised. Except in North Carolina. In North Carolina, the Populist Party and the Republican Party had fused together and worked together to overthrow the Democratic stronghold, which displaced Democrats out of power in a way that hadn't been seen really in the South since Reconstruction. Wilmington was a black majority town, and it had a thriving black middle class, black schools, and black people in political positions from policemen to aldermen, and its own black daily newspaper called the Wilmington Record, which is where the story starts. Alexander Manley, editor of the Wilmington Record, is central to this event because he wrote an article denouncing the idea of lynching and claiming that white women were attracted to black men, which was a radical, radical idea because, as I discussed in Race Riots Part 1, often lynching surrounded the idea of black men being sexual animals who were predators to white women, so the idea of white women actually seeking out black men? Ooh, that was real problematic for the time. And that's when they started to plan the violence, which became jointly about black people being uppity and having political power and being a sexual threat. So as I said, it was planned, but it got serious the day before the coup, which was the day after a November election, when those planning it released the White Declaration of Independence, demanding that Alexander Manley leave the city, that black people no longer have the right to vote or have political office, and that white people would be allowed to take a majority of their jobs. And they had 24 hours to meet these demands, which didn't happen. So the next day, White supremacists went to Manley's newspaper and burned it. They just kind of randomly started attacking a bunch of black people. They forced the government to resign and installed their leader, Alfred Waddle, as the new mayor. And they took community leaders, mostly Republicans, both white and black, and marched them to the train station, telling them not to come back or they'd be killed. In the middle of all of the violence and being ordered to leave, thousands of people actually ended up leaving and to this day, we don't actually know how many people were killed. They're still finding bodies there. But after they installed a new mayor and just overturned the government, the violence ended. And then in the next local election, which was the following March, the coup was legitimized by an election. And after that violence, Wilmington kind of became a model of what it looked like to disenfranchise black people and strip them of their civil rights. So these two coups, race riots, massacres, they've been classified as all three. I wanted to center these two, not just because they are issues of an attempted coup and a successful coup, but because they were both premeditated, which is different than a lot of the race riots that I've covered so far. They're usually pretty spontaneous, but these two were planned. And part of this premeditation that's super interesting is the media had a very important role. White newspapers before both of these events claimed that black people were the threat. They spread rumors of black people planning an uprising to expel all the white people out of Louisiana and Wilmington, while they themselves were planning to attack and expel black people and their Republican governments. Which, one, that was their justification for their attack in the first place, and after the fact, that's how they downplayed and justified what happened. And it was also a super important way for them to recruit. The more the specter of a black threat to political power was upplayed and spread, the more people joined groups like the White League in order to deal with that threat. So, wildly, there is a precedent 
for white violence against democracy, for white people going to Capitol buildings, not D.C. in these cases, but still going to Capitol buildings, taking over and trying to make their political will happen through violence. These are not the only cases of violence like this in American history, but they are two good examples to look at the parallels with what happened on January 6th, which you definitely don't need me to point out. But when you hear it referred to as something completely unprecedented, let people know that it's not. Maybe share this episode with them. All power to all people, y'all.